Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined on this Jobs Friday with uh, by my three colleagues, two trusted co-hosts, uh, Chris Dorides and Marissa Di Natale. And uh, Dante, you're you're, uh, you're you're you might as well be a co-host. Uh, you're on every Jobs Friday, so good to have you all. I guess a lot of illness here. Um, <laughs> we're just. Talking about this, uh, Mercer's not feeling so well. We won't go into that any any detail, but uh, not 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 her hundred percent self. And Chris, it sounds like you got a cold. Yeah, something, something, something. Some yeah. virus. Dante, how are you feeling? Uh, surprisingly, I'm okay. My kids have been sick this week. I'm I'm dodging the bullet so far, so we'll see. Oh, I'm just with wait. You. Just wait. <laughs> I know my niece and nephew are six and three, and they're constantly sick. And so I feel like every time I see them, I get whatever they have. <clears throat> My wife's got a bad cold too. She was coughing and sneezing all night. So yeah, but so far I dodged that bullet too. Yeah. For you. So, yeah. So far so good. Um, but anyway, sorry about that. We're, we'll see how this goes uh, with everyone <laughs> under the weather. Uh, but you know, the jobs report um, must've cheered everybody up, right? I mean, the job market is healthy. Job market feels pretty good, right? Right, Dante, you want to give us a rundown on the jobs numbers today? This is for the uh, month of March uh, 2023. Um, this is Friday, April 7th. Uh, so we've got the numbers. So they they felt pretty good to me. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I would call it maybe the, the least contentious report we've had in a while. You know, we had some reports that were upside surprises. We had some reports where the surveys tended to diverge a bit. And this one felt like it was not really a surprise at all. You know, job growth has continued to moderate. Top line non-farm payrolls were up 236,000 in March. Uh, the three-month average gain is still pretty high at 345,000. That's up from the end of, of last year, but it's still down significantly from a year ago. In the first quarter of 2022, we were averaging, you know, better than 550,000 jobs a month. So still a definitive slowdown in the job market here over the last year. Um, on the industry detail, maybe a little bit of a surprise with construction payrolls finally falling. I mean, maybe that was sort of always expected to happen, but it, it finally did happen here for the first time since the beginning of last year. Manufacturing fell for the second month in a row, albeit by a very small amount. Uh, retail was down, although it was up pretty big in, in the last two months. So just a little bit of buyback there. Uh, information payrolls actually gained a little bit, which is maybe a little bit surprising given sort of the ongoing tech layoff announcements that we keep seeing. The gain was small relative to the declines over the last few months, so still not a positive story there. Uh, healthcare, leisure and hospitality continue to be the, the drivers, primary drivers of payroll growth, and that has not really changed. Uh, a similar story to last month in terms of earnings and, and hours, average weekly hours ticked down a little bit again. Earnings were uh, 0.3% over the month again, which was you know sort of in line with where it's been the last few months. Uh, year over year, wage growth is now you know getting close to 4%, uh, the lowest it's been in a while. Uh, the household survey, if anything, was maybe stronger than people would have expected. You know, it's probably the more robust side of of the report here. Uh, the unemployment rate ticked back down a little bit to 3.5% after it it jumped a little bit last month, um, and that was you know for the right reasons. Labor force growth is still strong. Uh, employment, as measured by the household survey, is strong again this month. Um, so, you know, sort of a, a maybe a bit more positive story out of the household survey, and maybe a bit more strength than we or, or the Fed would like to see. But all in all, I think it was you know probably the least surprising report we've seen in a while. Sort of fell in line with expectations. 
So we've been looking for reports that kind of thread a needle. Uh, we want uh, the job market to kind of throttle back here a bit uh, so that wage and price pressures uh, moderate, get inflation back in. Uh, but we obviously don't want the labor market to weaken too much or fall apart because that would be consistent with a recession. So uh, in that kind of frame, where does this report land? I mean, it feels to me like it's in the sweet spot. I mean, the labor market's slowing. It doesn't seem like it's crashing too quickly. Um, you know, maybe you could argue that it could slow a little bit more quickly and that would be okay. But I think you know, after we saw two sort of upside surprises in the last few months, this was, a, I think, a welcome change of pace in terms of what we need to see here moving forward. So you would say down the strike zone, in the middle of the fairway. According to script. you know, any, According any to those, script. You know, they all fit. They all they all kind of fit, huh? Well, yeah, right. Those are all uh, Zandyisms, I would say. I would they, agree. We had, we had a few wild pitches the last few months, and now we're, uh, we're yeah, back. we're back in the strike zone. We're okay. back in the strike zone. Apropos to the start of baseball season, there you go. So the Phils are having a bit of trouble, so I'm not watching at the moment. So uh, they got to get back on track. Okay, that that was a good rundown. But uh, Mercer, what do you think? Uh, anything, any gaps there you want to fill in? And uh, I guess also, is your interpretation of the report consistent with uh, Dante and and my my interpretation? Yeah, I think it 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 shows a slowing job market, but not cratering. Still strength in many pockets of the you know, the industries that we look at, some of the more interest rate sensitive industries look to be slowing a bit more, which is something we've been expecting, um, especially given the housing market, we've expecting ex been expecting construction to slow. Um, and I agree, the household survey side of it looks even a bit stronger. You know, the labor force had a large increase of over 400,000 during the month. The Employment population ratio, the labor force participation rate, both rose, sending the unemployment rate down a little bit. And unemployment rates fell for most of major demographic groups. So people are still doing well in the labor market, but perhaps not quite as well as they were six months ago. And we combine this with other labor market data we've gotten recently. I think it's it's pretty clear there is some cooling off here. So I I like it. You know, I think as Dante said, it, it, the, the Fed probably wants to th see things slowing more consistently and and maybe a little more rapidly, but it it's a nice pace of slowdown in terms of, you know, perhaps avoiding a recession while still getting some relief. Wage growth slowed year over year, hours ticked down. So it's moving in the right direction in, in those regards. Yeah, maybe this is the time to throw in a couple other kind of data points we got this week related to the job market that seemed consistent roughly or roughly to the jobs numbers. That would be the initial claims for unemployment insurance. That's a kind of a read on on uh, the number of a number of people getting laid off. Uh, and also on um, the jolts, the job opening labor turnover survey. that's a, that's a month lag. so that's that's a window on what happened back in February with regard to open positions, hires, that kind of thing. Uh, did you want to just explain those? Two numbers, sets of numbers, and you know your interpretation in the context of this jobs number, Marissa. Oh, me. Yeah. Um, sure. So uh, the well, the unemployment insurance claims data is interesting because it actually got revised with 
this Thursday's release. It gets revised every year when the BLS or not the BLS, sorry, the the Department of Labor who puts out the UI data um, redo the seasonal adjustment factors. They redid them this time, but they actually switched the methodology back to what it had been prior to the pandemic. So the methodology used to be this multiplicative seasonal factor whereby they would um, multiply the seasonal factor to the level of UI claims. They suspended that during the pandemic because the pandemic threw everything off. They started adding the seasonal factor instead. They switched this methodology back, and that had the effect of revising up UI claims from, I think it was, Dante was at the middle of 2021 through present, Um and so UI claims now are higher, you know, than they were. And the trend shows that they've actually been rising since um, February of this year pretty steadily. So UI claims in the latest week were 228,000, whereas previously we were looking at a level of claims that was just under 200,000. So the trend now shows rising claims, which it did not before. It had been kind of holding at that 190, 200,000 level for a long time. And they're, they're much higher than they were before. Still not recessionary, still not in a recessionary territory, but definitely consistent with all the layoff announcements that we've been hearing. You know, we've been scratching our head about this for a long time, right? Why aren't these layoffs showing up? Mm-hmm. If, if people are getting laid off, why isn't it? In the claims data, and now it looks like it clearly is. You see, when you look at it by state, you, you clearly see big uptick in claims in California and other states where we know a lot of these layoffs happened. But still, it's kind of consistent with what you'd want to kind of see if you're threading the needle, right? I mean, because 200K, that is exceptionally low, and that's, that's a, right. indicative of an incredibly tight labor market, not consistent with the idea that wage growth is going to come in and inflation is going to moderate. 225k or 230k where we feel it feels like where we are now that's still pretty low right i mean you know by historical norms kind of sort of want to see something around 250 maybe in the current context maybe even high as 275 because dante isn't that your calculation of break even yeah break even's around 270 and i mean the four week average right now is about 240 so i mean we're you know getting close to that ballpark i would think you know the, the recent week fell a bit from from where it had been um in the weeks prior so yeah, i think certainly creeping up in that direction and you know my guess would be we're going to be above 250 here pretty soon although uh, a little uncertainty there cuz the banking crisis i saw i noticed that there was a big jump the big jump in ui was in the week when the banking crisis really hit mm-hmm. and it came back in last week so i'll be really curious to see you know is this a uh, is, is this related to the banking crisis in the fall for the crisis or is this something you know deeper broader going on right it was up close to 250 in this both of the second you know the last two weeks of march and then it came back down a little bit here in the first week of april so yeah, it's hard enough that's just volatility or if that's a signal of things sort of settling down a bit Right. So, so when I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, I look at that and I say, I'm a, you know, when you see trend lines like that, you go, Oh, I'm a little nervous about where the trend is going. Are these UI claims going to continue to go North and ultimately signal recession, but we were all, we've been waiting for this to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. for the, to rise. So it feels like it's consistent with the script, you know, back to the, the Zandyism. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
it had been a head scratcher it had been a head scratcher this yeah. wasn't budging at and yeah. it was at such a low level and just to so reiterate we, the, the 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 change the revision wasn't because they came up with more claims the revision was because they just changed the way they seasonally adjust the data that's right yeah that's okay. right what about the jolts uh the job open, opening labor turnover survey dante uh does that is that uh, consistent with the threading the needle narrative I would say it is, but it's a little bit more confusing of a story given some of the different data there. Certainly the, the job openings data was what we would want to see a big decline in openings uh, back below 10 million was the lowest uh, level of job openings since the middle of 2021. Uh, so that certainly is you know, signaling uh, you know, a slowdown in labor demand, which is obviously in line with the, what the Fed wants to see. The, the sort of a little bit more puzzling data points were that quits ticked back up a little bit, you know, signaling that workers maybe are feeling you know, still pretty good about what's going on and, and feeling confident in quitting. And, and layoffs in the JOLTS data actually fell a little bit from January, which seems a little bit counterintuitive with what we've seen now in, in the claims data. Neither of those movements were particularly large, and it's likely just you know, a little bit of month-to-month noise in the data. So I think the, the big drop in openings is probably the headline there, and the rest of it is you know, likely not a whole lot to write home about. And just put a number on it. So, uh, and I hope I'm not taking anyone's uh, statistics game number, but 9.9 million unfilled open positions in the month of February. Uh, the peak was 12 million unfilled positions, I, b- I believe about a year ago, uh, early 2022. And just for context, right before the pandemic hit in kind of uh, 2019, early 2020, we're kind of just north of 7 million. So we're, feels like we're, you know, not we're not quite halfway back to where we need to be to be consistent with a, a, a you know a strong labor market, but one that's not overly tight. Is that roughly right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. yeah. Da- Dante, Dante, we have to remind him. This is you know people are listening. You know, on their podcast, they they don't see your frowns and your your. your well, except if I you're like watching to make on YouTube, that you the people <laughs> yeah, can't yeah. see. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so Chris, you've heard yeah. all this, uh, what do we miss uh, anything on the jobs numbers or any of the employment related statistics that came out this week and what it means in terms of this uh, narrative about, uh, you know, threading the needle between getting growth down consistent with, uh, moderating inflation, but not getting growth down so far that it means recession. Yeah. It all looks uh, quite good as Dante and Marissa suggested we have other if you dig a little bit deeper into some of the demographics you can see that men's labor force participation ticked up as well that that's positive that's something we had been lagging so you know hard to find any real blemishes here i guess the one to harp on would be the uh, month-to-month increase in average hourly earnings is that sufficiently weak for the uh, for the fed right still still not where they want it yeah maybe it's trending gradually in the right direction but uh maybe it still looks a bit too strong uh for the fed's liking would be my um my interpretation although with the banking crisis and everything else going on i think that their you know their tolerance certainly is is a little bit wider here uh in terms of how they're going to make the decision i think the cpi report next week is going to have more more of a bearing yeah so you're making the point that uh, because of the uh the potential fallout from the banking crisis on the economy yeah. and labor market, which we, we haven't quite, I'm sure we haven't seen yet. I mean, because right. the crisis happened, I think as Silicon Valley Bank failed on the 10th of March and the survey, the Bureau of Labor Statistics survey 
was done in the week of the 12th. So it would pick up some of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure not much of it. There's a lot more to come, I would expect. And you're saying, look, yeah. the Fed got to be thinking the same way and they'll want to see what kind of impact the the banking crisis and had on business confidence and lending and everything else and ultimately on jobs that's right that's right so i think this is good good report in the strike zone um but even even this uh, ref would say the the dorides ref would say in the strike zone so, there you okay. go. Maybe okay. not right in the middle of the okay. uprights, but uh, <laughs> right, very close. Oh, the uprights. So now we <laughs> went from baseball now to football. Yeah, football yeah. in one sentence. <laughs> I Ooh, don't know. I like that. I should add that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, talking about the banking crisis, um, uh, how are you feeling about that uh, in terms of the crisis itself, and then also in terms of are you noticing any any fallout here uh, in uh, other data you're following? Chris. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I would say it looks at, at this point, it looks like the worst of it is behind us because all the measures that the, uh, the Fred mm. and others have taken um, would, would uh, quash any type of uh, additional uh, contagion. At least that's the, uh, that, that seems to be the case at this point. So may still very well, may still see some additional bank failures, uh, but the likelihood that they would spread to the same degree and cause the same amount of angst uh, I I think has been taken off the table here. I don't think we've seen the fallout in the data uh, quite yet. I mean, everyone is talking about the lending standards tightening up, and we did. I I did see one data point from the Dallas Fed. They do have a banking conditions uh, survey that they the, that they collect that actually was collected after the Silicon Valley Bank failure, and it did look as though there was some tightening on lending standards, particularly for consumer loans, but. Still early that's, days. That's the Dallas Fed survey, banking survey. That's yeah. right. That's right. right. But still early days. Um, so I don't think we've we've seen the the uh, full brunt of this yet. And I think it's going to take a, a long time for this to play out in terms of the lending standards, the credit crunch, at least a credit shock uh, is going to be going on throughout the next few quarters. Well, we should be getting the uh, Equifax credit file data for the month of March pretty soon. That'll be interesting to see because we can see what's going on with uh, uh, out, the growth and outstandings across different kinds of uh, consumer and mortgage products. Yeah. I, I would expect the the fallout to be much larger on businesses, and that's yeah. a that's harder to measure real time. But uh, it it will be interesting to see what that March data says if there's any you know meaning. It, it's it was already the growth that I think was already slowing, right? Uh, yes, yeah, that's because right. lenders had been starting to tighten. Uh, in response to an erosion in credit conditions, delinquency rates, but it'd be really interesting to see if there's anything that shows up there. Yeah. But even that, right. That's yeah. Right. Partial. Yeah. <laughs> part of the month was <laughs> part of the month. Susceptible to the uh, bank failures. Right. I guess the other, or... yeah, totally agree. I, I guess the other channel through which the banking crisis can impact the economy, the first being through lending standards and loan growth and credit availability, that kind of thing mm -hmm. is sentiment and excuse me. Oh, hopefully I'm not getting sick too. Oh, no, no, uh -oh. no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I'm doing, you know, everyone's monitoring their body every 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a very interesting podcast. Yes. Be, yeah, yeah, we're going down. We're going down. 
I, I noticed the ISM survey, uh, the, uh, for, Oh, you did uh, now you yeah. like it. <laughs> uh, well, it was back down again, you know, the services side, that was a pretty meaningful yeah. drop. Uh, yeah. and it, the ISM survey is a survey of purchasing managers and it it's based partially on hard data, but it's a lot of it's sentiment. It's how people are feeling about things. And that took a pretty meaningful nosedive, uh, in the month of March, uh, and that survey is conducted through the m- entire month. And, and and according to the ISM folks, most of the respondents wait to the end of the month to respond. So it would be more fully reflective of, you know, kind of their thinking about what me- the bank crisis might mean. And that does suggest that, you know, businesses are on edge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wasn't it the largest decline since the financial crisis or something? I think for the orders component of it. Oh, it, oh that's right. It was the yeah. new orders component. And, and yeah. I think I'm stealing Dante's analysis now, uh, which I, uh, as that's you can tell. Bernard, because, if it's uh, not. That's what it's okay. there for. Yeah, yeah. careful <laughs> consumer of it. The overall index fell even sharp, more sharply in the month of December, and that was felt bogus because it just bounced right back up. So I'm not sure maybe, you know, whether this is in the same kind of, has the same kind of issues, but we'll say, uh, people, I guess the, 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 the one thing it feels like it's saying is people are on edge, you know, they, if anything kind of doesn't stick to script, you know, they get very nervous very fast. And maybe that's the message here in the, in these surveys that, you know, people are very, very nervous about things. Yeah. We also got the factory orders for February this week and they were down, right? So it was already suggesting right. slowdown even before. Right. Right. March. Although those numbers, I always am hesitant to read too much into because they're so volatile Very month volatile. to month. Right. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, certainly consistent. Well, two consecutive months. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two consecutive months. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we we got a few things I want to do uh, uh, during the podcast. One is the game, the statistics <laughs> game. Maybe we'll do that next. Uh, then I want to take listener uh, questions. So, you know, we've been soliciting listeners. Uh, uh, to the podcast uh, for their their questions, and uh, yeah, here I'm soliciting again. Please fire away. We're we're collecting them, and we're going to uh, respond to a couple three of them, you know, here today. And then I think I want to come back at the end. We haven't done this in a bit. Probability of recession. <laughs> uh, maybe broaden that discussion out a little bit. You know, we've been focused on the next twelve months. Maybe we should start thinking a little longer run. But uh, we'll do that as well. Uh, sound like a good game plan going forward. Everyone good with that? Okay, yep. let's turn to the game, the statistics game. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we all put forward a statistic. The rest of the group tries to figure out what that is through questions and clues, deductive reasoning. The best statistic is one where <laughs> it's not so easy. We get it immediately, not so hard. We never get it. And if it's apropos to the topic at hand, uh, I guess uh, that would be banking and job market uh, and uh, released this week by the, by, uh, the agencies or uh, trade groups, uh, that that would be desirable. Okay. Tradition is we begin with Marissa. Marissa, you're up. Uh, what's your statistic? My statistic is 172,000. In the jobs numbers today? It is. Household survey? Yes. Okay. Uh, is it related to uh, the labor force? Well, Ooh. no, I mean, yes, no. it's, it's, okay. related. <laughs> it's related to the, Head everything's fake. related to the labor force. Oh, okay. That was too broad. Yeah. 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 Well, I was thinking, you know, the 
is it related to job employment or uh or i, I guess it's uh, well i guess that's a bad question a bad question <laughs> everything's related to the labor force is it a demographic cut of the data no is it a change in <clears throat> it is a over the month change over yeah. the month change and it's not a demographic cut um what do you think guys uh is it one of those um, marginal workers, permanent job losers, something like? Not in the labor, something related to not. Yeah, it is something like that. Is it an increase or a decrease? Did you say that? It's no. an increase. Okay, just, just checking. Uh, increase in in what? In the so marginal plus one hundred and seventy-two thousand over the month. Yes, I, plus I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry I missed that. So it it's related to an increase. Chris in- Chris just said it. I mean, he said <laughs> oh. a bunch of different unrelated things. Mar- and one change of in marginal worker, marginally attached. No, no, it's per- permanent other- job losers. Yes. Yeah, so it's the number. Okay. It's the increase in the number of people who permanently lost a job in March, and that's significant because. In the prior month, in February, that number rose by 123,000. So over the past two months, that's risen by nearly 300,000, which would be the biggest, you know, consecutive month-on-month gain that we've seen since the teeth of the pandemic. And then you'd have to go back much for. I'm going back, and I'm still not seeing it. You know, years and years and years to get to a two-month number like that. You'd have to go back into like 2009 to see a two-month increase in the number of permanent job losers that big. So this is also consistent with what we're seeing with the hearing about the layoffs and the increase in UI claims and you know the slowdown in hiring and just overall cooling in the job market. Got to be off of pretty low levels though, right? I mean- That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it like it's got to still be incredibly low, I, w- I would think. No. Yeah, it, it yes, it is. Oh, it okay. Is. Yeah, I was trying to find it, but I can't find it right away. But yeah. Um, oh, okay, so you're saying I thought the over the month change was pretty significant. We haven't seen a big increase in that series in a long, long time. So you think there's information there? You, you do think there's information there? I think it, it's, it's consistent. consistent with, yeah. It's just it's just consistent with this other data showing that yeah, perhaps layoffs are ticking up and the job market is cooling. Right. Okay. So the number of people who have per- who permanently lost their job has increased meaningfully over the last couple of months. Still low, right. but it has increased and consistent with these other data suggesting an easing up of uh, the labor market. Yeah. And this is, you know, the BLS reports why people are unemployed, the reason for unemployment. So the other reasons could be they're on temporary layoff, they quit a job, so this isn't people voluntarily leaving, right? This is this is basically a layoff, and we haven't seen this kind of movement in that series in quite some time. All right. This, this I I think I bring this up every jobs report, but it keeps I I bring it up because it bothers me. The idea that we're at, that we're uh, the labor market's well beyond full employment. I it just doesn't. If just if you look at the data, it all is consistent with a, a, a job market that's at full employment. The unemployment rate is three and a half percent. That's where it's been for you know an entire year, and that's where it was prior to the pandemic. The uh, you know the employment to population ratio, uh, you know it's been it's high and rising. I think it's eighty point seven percent. I hope I didn't take anyone's statistic, but eighty point seven percent 
for prime age workers, 25 to 54. But that's pretty much where it peaked out, you know, prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, you look at the uh, uh, all of the, the 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 numbers in the in the report. It doesn't seem to suggest that you know we're operating well beyond full employment. Is, is, am I wrong? I mean, I don't know that that's a consensus view. It's certainly not the view of, at the Fed. I don't think they they view the labor market as beyond full employment, but because they're looking at the wages, right? But even on the wages, the wages are the signal. But they're slowing now. Yeah. Slowing, but they're still faster than yeah historical average. Right? Okay, I want to. I'm going to go. I'm, this is the moderator's prerogative. I'm going to go next in the context <laughs> of this conversation. Okay, and I got this. This may now be too easy uh, a, a statistic, uh, and if it is, then I'm going to give you a second one. Three point seven five percent. Three point seven five percent. Is this the three month moving average of? Average wage growth. growth. Pretty, yeah. But the, the the Q1 annualized wage growth, average hourly earnings wage growth, 3.75%. So I don't know. That's exactly where it was pre pandemic. I mean, it, you know, in, in, we, we've talked about wage growth and why it was so elevated, you know, uh, in my view, not because of a tight, uh, of an extraordinarily tight labor market. Certainly, you couldn't get that kind of wage growth without a tight labor market, a full employment economy. But, but uh, you know, it goes to other things like inflation expectations. And 3.75% is, I'd say that's pretty consistent with or close to what the Fed would want to see. Uh, uh, given their inflation target. So 2% inflation, you know, one and a half percent productivity growth gets you to three and a half percent. That's, you know, 3.75 is within spitting distance. So again, I'd say it's pretty consistent with the idea that the economy is at full employment, but not beyond full employment. Would, would anyone take the significant, Chris, would, would you take, um, uh, would you push back on that? Do you think we are well beyond full employment? I don't think we're well beyond. No. Okay. We might be beyond. Beyond. Okay. And Dante? Yeah. At the risk of burning another statistic, I mean, we're still adding, you know, over the last three months, we're adding almost 600,000 people to the labor force every month. So it's, it's yeah. hard to feel like you're well That's beyond right. full employment if you're still bringing that many new workers. Uh, That's my, uh, this other thing I was, I forgot to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Here's my second statistic <laughs> in the context of, of that, because you wouldn't have gotten that 3.75 as easily if it wasn't in the conversation the way it was put in. Correct? Am oh, I now, we, now we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we don't know. We don't know the counterfactual. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Here's another one. This one's harder, but you know, uh, you've got context. Two numbers: two point four three million, two point zero five million. What do you think those numbers are? Two point four three, and it's a change over the year. In the context of the labor how force tight, growth, labor force growth, two point four three million. So divide by twelve, that's a couple hundred thousand a month, right? That's your labor force growth, and that goes to the increase. No one mentioned labor force participation increased again, or maybe I missed it. I did. No, you did. Okay, so yeah. you know, another increase, two point zero five million. What's that? You got labor supply. Oh, it's the. Is it the? Civilian non-institutional population? No, it's, it's an increase in labor demand. That's the change in employment plus the uh, unfilled position. Okay. That's labor demand. 
2.43 million in supply. This is through year over year through the month of March. 2.05 million labor demand. I'm, I'm I'm using a little bit of slide of hand here because I'm using the jolts data and that ended in February. So I I just assume that March is going to be the same as January to get to that number. Uh, I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. This is the first month since right in the teeth of the pandemic that labor supply is greater than labor demand this month in the month of March on a year over year basis. So, I mean, I just, I think that's encouraging again, in the context of we are uh, threading the needle, uh, you know, here between uh, uh, the con we want the job market to ease up so that it eases wage pressures, but we don't want it to ease up uh, too much. Okay. Um, actually, I have a great chart. I'll send it all around to you guys, you know, yeah. showing that. Yeah. I'm going to tweet it out probably on Sunday. Um, don't take it. Okay. You know, Chris, I know Just Easter, Easter, Easter yeah. Sunday tweeting yeah. about the labor market. Oh, yeah. is that inappropriate? No. Just, just <laughs> it defines the priorities. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of an Easter egg. <laughs> Easter egg. Right. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Dante, you're up. I, I'm, I'm digging deep into the, uh, oh, no, the stats that I had on my right, list here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Minus 0 0.1. And it's in the jobs numbers? It's in the jobs numbers. It is a percent? It's not is, a percent. Is it a change in an unemployment rate for a specific demographic group? It is not. That would really be digging deep, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, it but, but it's a change in it's uh, a change month to in. month. It's a month to month change in. Okay. But there's no units. There's no, no units. Oh, it's is, is it changing the, that that ratio between? Um, is it changing a ratio? Not a ratio. Okay. It was uh, a minus zero point one. Declined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it declined. Uh, household or household survey? No payroll survey. Payroll survey. Is it the diffusion index? It's not. That was actually up slightly. It's been down a lot. It was back up oh, a little bit. It much. was. Oh, not yeah, yeah, a little quick, bit. Quick tangent. Explain that and what that is and what it's saying so the diffusion index measures the breadth of job creation it looks at the you know basically the percentage of detailed industries that are adding to payroll so a diffusion index which it was 60.2 in march that means that 60.2 percent of the detailed industries they look at were adding to jobs versus 40 percent which were uh, losing jobs with some middle ground there for industries that didn't change at all um, it was 57.4 last month, and that was the lowest it had been in a long time. And that was a, it's been down very large over the last year. So you know, if you look back to February of 2022, that was the peak of this cycle, and it was above 80, uh, which is historically high. I mean, that's you know record high uh, for the share of industries adding to payrolls, and it's been falling precipitously. Um, and as you start to get down below 60 into that you know sort of mid 50s range, that tends to be the area where you can see job losses you know in aggregate start to happen. Um, so the fact that it seems to have plateaued and picked back up a little bit is a good sign in terms of you know not seeing things at the bottom fall out of the labor market. Um, it it is volatile month to month, so it's hard to read too much into you know single month movements back and forth. But certainly something to keep an eye on to see if the you know, sort of the breadth of job losses keeps spreading out here over the next couple months. Okay, going back to your statistic, I think I know what it is. Okay, minus point one, the decline yep. in hour uh, hours worked per week. 
the aggregate index of hours worked. Yeah. So I, I thought Chris would get it because I think he actually yes. cited it last month or the month before. Oh. And it, this, so this is the second straight month that it's fallen. So even though we have huge payroll gains happening, we've had declines in average weekly hours and that in aggregate total hours have been down now for two months in a row. Um, so, I mean, it's just another signal that demand here is is softening, even though we're getting job gains the total number of hours being worked are falling. Actually, average weekly hours also fell minus. They did. That's true. You're right. 34.5 to 34.4, I think. Yeah, that's right. And 34.4 is like we've come full circle because when the pandemic hit, uh, we saw a big increase in hours work uh, in part because I think uh, all the people leaving the labor force, people who were in the labor force were working more. And it's mixed effects too, uh, given where the, job growth is is happening uh, across sectors uh but it's now come all the way back in so it's 34.4 is exactly where it was uh pre-pandemic okay mm -hmm. but that's it so what your point is your point is look we saw this increase in employment but we saw this decrease in hours work so the aggregate hours worked which is jobs times our average weekly hours that actually declined which is consistent with the idea that the economy is moderating the demand here is moderating Right. I think you're right. If you look at job openings from jolts and you look at, you know, sort of total hours being yeah. worked, both of those are signals that demand is is certainly softening here. Yeah. Very good. Um, okay. Chris, you're up. All right. So you, you've mentioned all of the uh, labor market statistics that I had uh, selected. So I'm going to go off script off, here. Off script. Uh oh. And um, this is a tough one. Okay. But I think it's relevant. It's uh, Q1 number. The number is 183. 183,000? Nope. 183. 183. There's units. There's some units though. Yes. No? Okay. So yes. we have to guess the units. Yes. If okay. I tell you the units. You'll... Is yeah, it no, job no. market related? No. No. It's business credit related. Oh, business credit related. 183, 183 billion? Banks. What's that? 183? What? Billion? No. Banks? Nope. Not uh, banks. Some other related. entity. Uh, credit 183 unions? businesses. Okay. 183 okay. businesses. Okay. <laughs> Another B. 183 businesses. Oh, goodness. Something happened to them in the first quarter. Oh, uh, okay. Do you, do you any idea, uh, Dante? Marissa? 183. Something happened Corporations. To More specific. 183 corporations. Oh, announced layoffs? Nope. No. Bankruptcies? Yes. Yes. Oh. Oh. 183 corporate bankruptcies in the first quarter. That's the highest in 12 years. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So obviously <clears throat> S SVB, Silvergate, banks that yeah. uh, were in there, but there were other corporations, consumer discretionary companies, especially, that filed for bankruptcy in the first quarter. Oh, wow. So that's does suggest that's some weakening. Yeah. Uh, so 183 corporations filed for some form of bankruptcy in Q1. That's right. And that's the largest number of bankruptcies, quarterly bankruptcies since when? Uh, back to 2010. 2010, coming out of the financial crisis. Yeah, that's right. So, Do you have any granularity on that? Like uh, what industries or... Uh, I'm so just curious. Are there maybe tech? It would be tech and banking, I guess. So 23 were consumer discretionary, 14 okay. were financials, 14 were healthcare, 13 industrials, 
and then you know, yeah. energy information technology. no tech or tech is one of those categories no tech tech unless it's a i guess it could no nothing uh ah. well there's communication services i think they'd okay be in there. yeah but only four right and they weren't very large huh so that's interesting i <clears throat> uh, how that's could that go back to business formation because business formation in the pandemic has been extraordinarily strong and of course a lot of form businesses that form fail so could it be a, that what is what's going on as opposed to any kind of it just feels weird that you'd see well maybe not by q1 you'd i guess you would start to see some stress here interesting what about personal bankruptcies? Yeah. That also is released, isn't it, with that I, data? Oh, I didn't see that. I you think didn't that's see that? been trending okay. up as well, though. Yeah. I think it's still very low, but yeah. I think the trend is up. Um, okay. okay. Part of this gotta... could be just a, a bounce back, right? Because the bankruptcies were very low during the uh, pandemic. Yeah. Right? So maybe this is just catching up. Catching up. Yeah. Right? Finally. But worth watching for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Early yeah. sign of some stress here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, very good. Um, let's go to listener questions. Uh, and I know, Marissa, you've been kind of following uh, those. Are there any uh, ones you want to post to the group? There's only a few. So I have to, again, you know, send a reminder to people. If you have a question, you can you can tweet them to Mark on Twitter or Chris on Twitter. At you Mark can... Sandy. At Mark Sandy. And Chris, your Twitter handle is? He's on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. Uh, more on LinkedIn. Uh... Yeah. Middleway Econ on Twitter. So. Okay. Yeah. And I'm on LinkedIn and Chris is on LinkedIn. And you can also send an email to helpeconomy.com. That's where most of these questions come in because we're running out of questions. I'm going to have to start making them up. Oh, no. Um, so let's see. We, this is a kind of an interesting one. You know, this was back during um, uh, Jerome Powell's press conference testimony in front of Congress as he does every time, right? The Fed meets and the senators get together and question him. And I guess I did see part of this. Uh, this this listener to the podcast was watching this back and forth between him and Senator Elizabeth Warren. And she was sort of- oh, I saw that, yeah. Going after him saying, you're going to cause a recession. You're going to cause yeah. harm to the economy. All these people are going to be put out of a job, right? What else could the Fed- what other tools does the Fed have to, if any, to fight inflation? How do they toe this line between trying to fight inflation and keeping the economy at full employment? Is there anything else they can do other than raise short-term interest rates? Like what would be the what would be the alternative if she's saying raising rates this high, this fast is detrimental to the economy? What else could the Fed do? Yeah, before I answer that question, maybe others would like to crack at it as well. I I watched that exchange and I was thinking to myself, how would I respond if I were Jay Powell, sitting there uh, listening to Senator Warren, who I, I respect both of them, you know, a lot. How would I respond to that question? Because she was going after him, saying, "Look, you're going to push the economy in, into a recession here with your policies. That's going to hurt a lot of people." And, you know, why do that? Uh, you know, you shouldn't do that. And I would argue, <clears throat> I would have argued, but, and Jay Powell said something, well, you know, inflation is bad too. 
people don't really like inflation. Everyone hates inflation. We got to get that back in. That caused a lot of damage as well. That was his response. My response would have been that you could have said that. That's true. But the other thing I would have said is, look, I'm trying to keep unemployment as low for as long as possible. And if I if we don't get inflation in, you know, we may have low unemployment in the, here in the in the immediate future, but we are ultimately going to have much higher unemployment for a longer period of time. So if if your goal here is to, to keep as unemployment as low as for as long as possible, the best policy is one to get that inflation rate back in as fast as possible. That that's kind of sort of how I would answer that question. Uh in terms of the tools, that's the, that's part of the problem uh, and why it's so difficult. You don't ha- they don't have many tools. Mm-hmm. You know, the, they have a couple. You know, the one is uh, monetary policy. That's interest rates, and that you know that is traditional kind of uh, short term interest rates, federal funds rate targeting that kind of thing. Then there's the non traditional QE QT to try to get long term interest rates down. But that's that's a very blunt instrument, you know, to uh, address inflation and uh, and obviously a lot of difficulty. The second broad um, set of instruments is around uh, regulation of the banking system, right? If you you can, uh, if you want to bring bring down growth and demand and and um, and quell inflation, you can uh, use your uh, regulatory oversight to make it, you know, more make banks more cautious extending credit. And of course, that second tool they they didn't need to use at all because we had the banking crisis. In part because they raised interest rates so aggressively, so there it's a very uh, very difficult thing for them to do. They they uh, and, and why threading this needle, the kind of the frame I've been using here through this podcast, is so difficult to do. It is literally threading the needle, really, really hard to do because you just don't have the explicit tools to get it done. I guess a third tool, and I'll just throw it in the mix just to try to be complete, but you know, uh, I don't think it uh, has uh, much impact is through jawboning, you know, just just trying to, he's, what, the, what he's doing and all the central bank, all the uh, folks on the Fed are doing is they're talking tough about inflation. They said, I, we're going to do whatever it takes to get inflation back in uh, to target. And by so doing, if you can convince people that that in fact is what you're going to do, Inflation expectations will remain lower, and it's easier to get inflation back in. So that's kind of a third tool they can use and have been using here to to try to get inflation. But again, you know that's that's pretty difficult to uh, you know execute on. It's a pretty blunt tool. Um, Chris, uh, any anything you want to add there to what I just said? I think that's right. I mean, the Fed the Fed's tools are blunt, and I would have said communication and certainly the Fed funds rate are their primary vehicles. I obviously wouldn't be this defensive in a congressional hearing, but I would turn it back on Congress and say, look, this is, you know, the Fed is the firefighter here, right? They do what they can with these very blunt tools to deal with the situation, but they're going to cause damage, right? With these very blunt tools. It's not as surgical as as you would like. It's really up to Congress to to, uh, set the stage in terms of addressing all a number of other factors that could help to bring inflation down, right? So you know, good to criticize the Fed. We absolutely should, but Fed's the the Congress is not helping by allowing a debt ceiling issue to to linger, being wishy washy in terms of uh, energy policies. Right, there are lots of other things that that could be done here outside the Fed's purview. Yeah, that's good. That's a good response, Dante. Any, anything you would add? Uh, 
I don't think I would add, but on a related note in terms of what the Fed might do moving forward, I don't know if you saw, you know, market expectations swung pretty dramatically on on the news of the employment report this morning. Oh no, I didn't see that. No, um, yeah. You know, as of yesterday, it was basically 50-50 about whether there'd be another rate hike in May, and now it's swung basically 70-30 in favor of a rate hike in May. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm curious if that sort of fits with what apparently they think this gives the fed cover you know to to go ahead and hike again i'm not sure that i would have read it the same way you know this feels like what the fed wanted to see but curious what your reaction is to that uh it's thin trading it's good friday you know equity markets closed the bond market's trading through midday so i'm not sure i'd read too much into it let's wait see what it looks like you know come next week um and I, I suspect it's going to bounce around 50-50 here because it is 50-50, you know. Uh, in our forecast, our baseline forecast, no recession forecast, we have one more rate hike in May, you know, so it, it's in there. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, and they are talking tough and they've made it pretty clear that it, it sounds like they've been kind of laying the foundation for another rate hike and assuming nothing else goes off the rail. So not too surprised, but let's wait and see, you know, uh, I'm sure the, the market isn't that liquid. Uh, that was a great question. Uh, uh, Mercy, you want, should we do one more? And then Sure. Okay. Um, this one, this is more of a softer question, but it's related to the one I just asked, which is the job market is so great, right? We come on here and talk about that all the time, how strong the job market is, how low unemployment is, wage growth is has been faster than it's been in a long time, despite the recent slowing. So why do people feel so crappy about their personal financial situation, about prospects for their finances? You know, by by many different surveys you can look at, right? We look at consumer confidence surveys. This listener was pointing to a Wall Street Journal survey that asked people about their personal financial situation. Most people said they're they feel worse off today than they would have expected to be at this stage in their life. So if the job market's so great, which is the vast majority of sort of people's financial situation, why do people feel so bad? Uh, I got a lot of answers for that one, but maybe uh, I'll, I'll let you guys take a crack or swing at that first. Who, who, who would like to do that, Chris or Dante? I'll start I mean, with the data. Okay. I always question yeah. the data. Yep, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the surveys. Yeah. Yep. I I don't know how reliable they are anymore. Um, so I always take them with a grain of salt. Who's answering these survey questions? How are the questions being asked? You always have to um, take that into consideration. And there is a disconnect between observed or revealed behavior and survey behavior. So good question asked why that's the case. I think a lot of it has to do with just people not either not being truthful or fully truthful when they answer the survey or the survey being a flawed instrument in terms of representation. So I think that's part of it. On top of that, I would say there, there likely is a lot of scarring still out there. People are have been through a couple cycles here of really negative uh, economic situations. So I'm, I believe that they are more guarded. Even the labor market is great today. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen uh, the next day. I think that that might color their opinions as well of what the future looks like for them and, and for their children. Dante? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, an artifact of a lot of these sentiment style surveys where people tend to respond more negatively about their own situation, even if they have a more positive view about sort of the overall economy or the overall labor market, they, they tend to think their own situation is worse than sort of the average uh, person out there in the labor market. So I mean, I think that's one, one thing that could be contributing to it. I mean, the other sort of real factor is that you know, certainly, you know, inflation and its erosion right. on purchasing power has had a yeah. real impact for, yeah. for some people, right? I mean, wage growth has been strong, but there's still a large segment of the workforce who you know, likely has less purchasing power today than they did a few years ago. So, I mean, I think some of that is you know, a real deterioration in, in how people are feeling about their finances and their their spending power. So, I, I mean, I mean, the, the the obvious answer is inflation. I mean, yeah, people hate inflation. Uh, and, and I think maybe exacerbating how much they hate it is many people have never experienced it. They go like, what what is this? You know, so, uh, you know, the last time we've had inflation that was a problem was back in the 70s and 80s. And many people weren't even alive at that point in time. Uh, and others, you know, barely remember it. Uh, and, and I think people view and here I'm stretching a little bit, but I think people view inflation as being unfair. You know, it's like, why am I spending, you know, by our calculation right in the month of February, there, the average American household is spending $372 more a month to buy the same goods and services that they were purchasing a year ago because of the inflation. And, and they go, well, wh why? You know, why is that? Thing? I'm getting ripped off here. Someone's yeah. taking advantage of me. Uh, and then uh, the, the surveys, I, I, I would push back a little bit because surveys are saying different things. The University of Michigan survey, a popular monthly survey, it, people are feeling crummy. But if you look at the conference board survey, another monthly survey, their sentiment is about where it's been on average over the history of the of the index. They're not feeling great, but they're not feeling. I wouldn't characterize it as feeling crummy. It's just feeling like uh, average, and that just goes to Chris's and Dante's point about the survey. The Michigan survey is focused on people's personal finances, inflation, and also stock market, and also perhaps housing values are down. Whereas the conference board survey is more focused on the job market, which is, as we've been talking, is is good. I mean, unemployment's three point five percent. You know, uh, people are doing pretty well. So uh, I I don't know that I'd say by all uh, different sentiment measures, it's it's not fair to say that people are feeling they're not feeling again. They're, no one's feeling great, but they're not feeling crummy. And then there's I think all kinds of atmospherics that you know play a role the political environment, you know, that can't be because, you know, you look at the survey responses, Republicans are really, really depressed, you know, compared to no, again, no one's feeling great, but the Republicans are feeling really depressed. And that's, that's gotta be, you know, the environment, political environment that we're in. So I, I think it's a, just a whole slurry of, of things that have come together to, to create this uh, kind of noxious brew, brew in people's minds. They're um, feeling depressed, but they're still spending. They're still yeah, they're still spending. Yeah, <laughs> the revealed yeah. behavior is is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on. Uh, uh, there's one more thing I want to do, uh, and that's the probability of recession going forward. And <clears throat> let me ask you this: I, I've not talked this over with you guys, but maybe I can look for two numbers. Number number uh, uh, probability number one is the probability that a recession will start in 2023. So the next nine months of 2023. And then the next one is the probability of recession in 20, starting in 2024. Uh, 
how does that sound? Just to provide a little more granularity here in, in terms of people's uh, mm-hmm. thinking. Does that sound reasonable? Okay. And it, it correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like even if you weren't more pessimistic about the economy in 24 than 23, that your probabilities in 24 should be a, a little bit higher than in 2023 be, just because you know things if it happen. doesn't happen in 23. Yeah, can, if it doesn't happen conditionally yeah. doesn't happen in 23. Right. It's got to be a little bit higher than you would think, unless there's some reason why you you would think otherwise that you know, but on typically you would think it would be higher. Um uh, but um is that is that do I have that right, Chris? Do you think so? That? These are probabilities within the within those periods. They're not cumulative for the second one. Right? Uh, You're saying well, probability you, of a recession yeah. in 24, yeah, independent of 23. Well, I'd say conditional on 23, no recession in 23. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, assuming yeah. no recession, but not the not the cumulative probability, not the cumulative probability within yeah. a year and a half. Because that, yeah, just to give more, yeah. sure, yeah, I think that's more uh, gives people more context as yeah. to how we're thinking about things. Okay, so and recession is a as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research, a broad-based persistent decline in economic activities, uh, kind of down, not two quarters of negative GDP, which we got back in the first half of last year, but you know, uh, 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 NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, defined recession. Okay, um, uh, let's go with uh, uh, you, Marissa, first. What what is your probability of 2023 and, and and probability of a recession starting in 24. I would say I'm at 50% for the remainder of this year. And then if we go into 24, I'm at 55, somewhere between 55 and 60. Okay. Okay. And uh, so you, 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 and you, that's up from where you were for 23. You were kind of at 45, I believe, something like that. I think, yeah, I was a little south of 50 before okay. the banking crisis, right? Okay. All right. And so, so any, you're, you're thinking this is going to take a little longer to play out, you know, uh, if we're going to have a recession, it's just not going to happen here in the next few months. It's going to play out further in, into the horizon in 24. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little more worried that in next week will be interesting when we see CPI. I'm I'm getting a little bit more worried that sort of core services inflation is going to take longer to budge. You know, it it made good progress and then it kind of stalled over the last 3 months if you look at the 3 month average and uh, it, the longer that takes to get under control and the Fed has to play this read the needle game between the job market and financial conditions and inflation, that's just a higher probability that something goes wrong down the line. Here's the thing about the inflation outlook, monetary policy and recession risks that I I don't quite get. Suppose inflation, and let's focus on CPI inflation, uh, consumer price inflation, it's 6% on the nose uh, year over year through the month of February. It feels, and you can correct me if you disagree or uh, take a different uh, perspective, but it feels like we're going to come in, come down pretty fast here, given so-called base effects. Uh, you know, comparisons to this time last year when inflation was at its peak, given the slowing in the cost of housing services, because we know rent growth has gone flat to down, and that's going to translate through with a lag. 
feels like goods prices are going to start to come in, you know, new vehicle prices. So it feels like we're going to go from six to three-ish here pretty quickly. And by the end of the year, we're going to be at three. The target, the Fed's target for CPI inflation, and here I'm making this up, but it, you know, I think it's right, is about two and a half percent. Core consumer expenditure deflator, different measure of inflation, that's two, but because of measurement different CPI is probably two and a half. So why you know, do do you really think the Fed is going to be on the war path uh, over fifty basis points? You know, getting from three to two and a half. You know, I don't, I just don't see it. So it feels, I feel like we can state with confidence we're going from six to three, and once we're at three, they're going to be much more relaxed and leisurely about getting it back down. They want to get it back down. They're going to keep monetary policy tight. I don't see the, the funds rate coming back down, you know, quickly. But I, I just don't know why they would need to or feel compelled to continue to press on the brakes, raise rates even more, which is, I think, what you would need to get a recession in 2024 uh, to get that inflation the, the last mile back to 2.5%. Does that does that resonate with you, what I just but laid are out? You, so are you arguing that they should stop right now? Well, if I were king, I'd stop right now. But if it's a quarter point, no big deal, because as Dante has pointed out, that's already embedded. You know, It's okay. Another quarter point, you bring the federal funds rate target to, to just over 5%. And then then I think they're going to pause. And then I'm saying, given the inflation outlook, given the economic outlook, it, it, I don't see the reason, the compelling reason why they need to start raising rates again later in the year going into next. And, and then if they don't raise the rates, they have to raise rates again going into next year, there is no, it's much more difficult to construct a, a recession scenario in 2024. You, you, sure, things can go wrong and that's why the probability should rise in 24 relative to 23, because who knows what's going to happen with stuff, you know, just random events. But in terms of, you know, things that that we can see and, and account for, monetary policy is a thing that would have to, would seem to me, would have to push us in. We, the Fed would have to be more aggressive and start raising rates again for us to go back into recession in 2024. What do you think? No? But what if... So no argument that we're clearly on a downward trajectory with headline inflation because of those things you just mentioned, but we could get another energy price spike. You know, OPEC is cutting output here. If the the Fed has said they're very keyed in on wage growth, if that kind of core, super core stuff doesn't budge, even if you get all the other rent, food, a even energy falling, do you think they're going to just ignore that and let that be? I that's my that's my let it be let it be in the sense that they believe that it is going to continue to moderate, uh, but it doesn't have to get back to two and a half percent like now. I mean, why why do I need to push the economy into recession to go from three to two and a half? I guess I'm saying, what if it doesn't really moderate? What if well, that? My, my working moderate. assumption is the labor market is, you know, weakening. You know, it, it, the economy is slowing. Unemployment's notching higher. That's kind of sort of, uh, that's kind of the forecast. So you get to the end of the year and you're looking around. And you're saying, why do I need to push this economy even more? It's already on the edge of recession. It's already weak. Why do I need to push this economy? even harder to get, you know, uh, that last mile to get that 50 basis points in in a few months. I mean, if I'm going to get this over the next 12, 24 months, I'm okay with that. Uh, now, that, of course, I'm 
that's just me. The Fed maybe who knows what they're thinking and you know how they're approaching it. But that I would think that that they would be much more relaxed about getting that last fifty basis points. Uh, but but anyway, um, D- uh, Dante, what's your probabilities? So I think the last time you framed this as twelve months, I, I was at fifty yep. percent. I think yep. if you now if I'm thinking just in 2023, that's yep. probably forty yeah, percent. I think okay. it's, it's a bit lower than that. And I think I, I don't think I would go higher than fifty percent still in in 2024. Um, you know, for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, I don't I don't see the Fed pushing too much higher at this point, given everything that's happening, given the improvement in the labor market, given what you know is likely to be improvement in inflation here in the second half of the year. Um, so I think I'd I'd stick at fifty percent uh, for twenty twenty four. Yeah, so forty percent in the remainder of twenty three and fifty percent for uh, twenty uh, twenty four. Okay, yeah. okay. You just heard my kind of mini rant. Uh, did that resonate with you? Yeah, the only question I would you know the thing that I ask myself is you know, we we know the labor market's slowing, right? Even if the Fed pauses. It, it's hard to know how much further the labor market will slow, right? I mean, if the labor market keeps slowing, even if there's a pause, we could still end up in a recession in early 2024, even if the Fed does what we think they should do and, and you know, sort of take the foot off here pretty soon. You know, it's hard to know how much damage will continue to happen or how much that slowing will continue, even if rate hikes stop and we just are living in a high rate environment here for the rest of 2023. So we, we've gotten the thing moving in the slowdown direction, but we don't know how far it's going to go, even if they stop hiking rates. Yeah, that's fair. Although I, again, I, I'd say with a high, a reasonably high degree of confidence that one inflation is coming in. I, I, I think we're going I six to three. I, I feel, you know, you're, there's things that could derail that, but that feels, I feel pretty strongly about that. And it also feels like the labor market is going to slow. I feel pretty confident about that in the context of the high rates and the banking crisis. We're going to go from 300K per month on average. I think we're kind of north of that right now, 300K per month on average, underlying, abstracting from the vagaries of the monthly data, down to something that's 100K or less. I feel pretty confident about, you know, we're going in that direction. And on oil prices, there I'm less confident, but, you know, I'm making an assumption that they're, uh, we, I think they're going up, you know, but I don't think they're going to go back up to 100 bucks because, there's a lot of excess capacity, spare capacity now out there in the global oil markets, given all the production cuts by OPEC and and the force cuts by uh, on to, on Russia because of sanctions. But that is an assumption. So it, you know, given that that reasonable, I, I'm in my mind, reasonable confidence around those dynamics, I say to myself, why would the Fed raise rates? You know, have, feel compelled to raise rates more, and if they don't, then the odds of re- recession odds are in 24 are very high, but doesn't feel like it's, you know, extraordinarily high, but okay. So you're on board with that. Um, okay. Chris, uh, go ahead. You're sitting down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so by the uh, way, do you want me to give you my odds first so that you can have, you can react to that? No, I'd like to give you mine first so you can adjust yours. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fire so away. I think I'm pretty compelling. You can correct yeah, yours. Yeah, give a correct mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say 45% for 2023. Oh, okay. Interesting. So uh do agree in terms of the timing there, but 67% for 2024. And uh, 67 is strategic. Well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of strategic. Yes. Kind of strategic. Because I debated could be 70, 
but the yeah. seven, you know, that calls a lot of attention. So <laughs> no, 67 is, well, it's strategic because you, would oh, put, uh, hey, the baseline forecast would have to change. That's the case. That's right. Cause right. our rule of thumb is for a big change in the forecast and adopting a recession of any flavor would be a big change. And we need to be very confident and very confident is a subjective probability of more than two thirds. If you go to 67, you're, you're effectively saying you would put a recession at some point in 2024 in the baseline forecast, our baseline forecast. Although we already have a little bit of a recession. What does that mean? 50 basis point increase in the unemployment rate. But, 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 Over you know, we still, year. yeah, but we don't, we don't, we have 1% GDP growth. We have, un, we don't, we have unemployment. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair okay. Enough. Okay. Fair enough. You're, you're, this is an important point. It's a really important point. Yes. You're saying this is kind of an artificial line between a, an economy that's on the edge of recession and an economy that experiences a modest recession, which is what you would anticipate. So it's a kind of like a faux a point of demarcation. It's, it's a bit of a parlor game is what you're saying. Yes. I'm not yeah. choosing 67%. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, is making a statement, but it's not a as strong a statement as if I went to 75 or 80. Then it's clearly yeah. suggesting you know deeper recession, no ambiguity, right? No ambiguity in your mind. Yeah. So. But, but Marissa's at 55 and she, correct me if I'm wrong, Marissa, you would not put a recession in the baseline forecast for 24. No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I like what the baseline looks like now. Yep. Okay. All right. Skirting um, recession. Well, you heard my mini rant. So yeah. how would you respond to that? I would say all well and good. I don't know about the 3% uh, by end of year in terms of inflation. Maybe it's three and a half. I, I won't quibble with that, but I don't think the Fed is going to uh, to hike aggressive. I, I do uh, agree with your, your uh, assessment there. I think you might be putting a little too much or too little weight on the credit crunch from the banking crisis. I, I'm really concerned that this, we haven't seen the, yeah. the real effects of uh, credit drying up uh, for a lot of businesses and that inevitably will cause some pullback uh, in activity. I think that does take a while. I don't think it's immediate. I think it's when loans come mm. up for refinancing and uh, the banks are also adjusting. Right now, they may be flush with capital again. They're, gotten their liquidity positions back in order, but still they're going to be facing a lot of um, pressure, earnings pressure uh, going forward. So I expect that's going to to weigh heavily. I also am expecting another shooter drop in terms of delinquencies and losses, right? We had only started to see auto delinquencies, credit card delinquencies starting to tick up. I think we're going to continue to see those types of trends in the future. And that's also going to lead to some pullback uh, in, in credit and spending and investment. So that's the that's the rationale. I don't think we need yeah. the Fed to I cause see. the recession. Yeah. As long as, I, as long as the Fed doesn't actually cut, I, I think they're already putting a lot of pressure given the long and variable lags of monetary policy. We're going to be feeling these effects over the rest of this year and into 24. Right. So even the Fed, say they raise the rates a quarter point in May, the funds rate, it goes to a little over five. That's a terminal rate. doesn't go any higher than that. Even with that, given what's already in train. Yep. That's recession. A lot. That, That's a yeah, lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I'm at 40% with Dante on 2023 and I'm at 50% for uh, 2024. So very consistent with the same kind of logic uh, as, as Dante had. Uh, it's hard to see recession. It, well, 
uh, hard is not the right word. Uh, un- less likely we see a recession in 23, just mm-hmm. given, you know, this is March, so we're still creating 236,000 jobs, unemployment still three and a half. It, it could happen. Something would have to go off the rails. You know, we'd have to get $100 plus oil for a couple, three months, which again is not inconceivable, you know, given things, but, but, uh, not not uh, what what I would consider likely, uh, but twenty four the the odds do rise just simply in part because you know that's that's a long period of time and to say nothing else is going to go wrong of consequence over the next you know uh, year and uh, nine months is that's saying a lot I mean things can happen I, I will say though I, I do think some underlying weights on the economy will lift as we move into 2024. So, you know, for example, uh, real disposable incomes of people are now turning positive again because inflation is coming in, wage growth isn't coming as fast. So people's uh, purchasing power is no longer eroding like it was a year ago when inflation was taken off and wages were, were lagging far behind. So consumers should, you know, get some solace from that, particularly lower income households, you know, some benefit from that. Um, the other is housing. So housing, you know, under tremendous pressure, given the run up in mortgage rates back six, nine months ago, a year ago, and that undermined affordability and demand collapsed immediately. Uh, home building fell sharply and it feels like the work, you know, we're pretty close to the bottom, I think in terms of home, if we're not already at home sales, pretty close to bottom in terms of construction uh, house price is more to go, but you know, uh, in terms of its economic consequence, I think housing goes from being this major headwind to growth over the last 12 months, year, to kind of going more neutral with respect to the economy. So it does feel like there are some things out there that may actually help to support you know the economy as we make our way into 24. So uh, it's not all negative. But anyway, uh, that was a good discussion. So uh, we'll uh, definitely come back. Uh, to these probabilities uh, down the road here uh, and and use this new frame of 23 and uh, 2024. Um, Okay. With that, um, anything else, guys, you want to bring up before we call it quits? We're all, I did another body scan and um, we made it. We all made it. We all made it. Um, (laughs) No one collapsed. No one collapsed. Everyone has a nice holiday (laughs) weekend. I think it's, I know it's uh, Passover and Easter, which is I think rare for them to line up like that, but uh uh, so it's a, a very um, important holiday weekend for lots of people. So um, uh, with that, uh, you guys taking off the afternoon? No, not you guys. You're always working. So yeah, we okay. actually have the afternoon off. Do we really? Although it seems some people forgot because we have meetings on our calendar. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty. I got plenty of meetings. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, but with that, we're going to call this a podcast. Take care, everyone. 